Today I welcome Sasha Crabb, Principal at Victory Heights Primary School in Dubai. In this episode, I discuss moral education, professional development, getting a work-life balance, and primary education. I kind of want to talk about this. So you won Principal of the Year. Yeah, I don't really like that accolade. I don't really like it. Well, I was going to say congratulations, but tell me, why do you think you were voted in? Why don't you like the accolade? Well... Was it political then? Bad reasons? I don't know. No, well, it wasn't for bad reasons. It was great for the school. And I, without sounding too humble, I would rather the school got best primary because, you know, all players make up a team, so to speak. But no, I just find it a little bit embarrassing, to be honest, because I think I've always wanted to be respected for being a great leader and about school improvement. And it just when you've set up a school that has not had a 100 year of history and has not been part of a huge organisation, I suppose, in a sense, it's everybody being part of it, not just about the captain of the ship, so to speak. So I get that. And it's very self-deprecating. You know, and I think all leaders would agree with you in terms of, you know, you're the one leading the direction, leading everything. You were described as passionate, funny and highly ambitious. Do you think these are key traits to successful school leaders or can you just be passionate and funny or can you just be funny? I think you can be all of those things. I think you have to be very reflective. I think there's definitely a part of when you talk about what other profession would you be? I think there's a definite sense of acting. You have to put on a face. You have to put on your lanyard and you have to become a different person. I would definitely say I'm probably more of an introvert than people from the outside see. They see, you know, somebody who's kind of jazz hands and snorts and is very loud. But actually, there's method in the madness. Sometimes, you know, you have to change your persona depending on who you're with. Our staff, as in like any school, there are different personalities, people that you need to understand emotionally to connect with them. So, you know, a joke wouldn't work with some people. You know, you have to be in the moment and understand each of the players within the team. So I think you have to be a master of many hats in terms of being a leader. I know that success can mean many things, but to me it also means about connecting with people and you have to have emotional intelligence. So I think leaders, yeah, they do need to have that ability to be able to adapt. I think passion, ambition. I think ambition sometimes pushed a bit too far. I think ambition, sometimes you lose the softer edges because you're so goal-focused on everything. And I say one of the greatest traits, I've known you many years and, you know, you are very authentic. You are very gregarious. You will be that full personality. You will dominate a room in terms of personality. You mentioned about being introvert. I think a lot of leaders feel the same. Do you feel quite exhausted? You know, you have a very full on day because you are loud, gregarious. When you do go back and relax, are you exhausted? Do you kind of just, you talked about being introverts. Yeah, definitely. I think it's bringing up the drawbridge, as my granddad would say in terms of being able to have some mental switch off time. When you have to be on a daily basis, a health and safety officer, an accountant, a marketing officer, you know, an advisor, a counsellor, a coach, a mentor, a dictator, a decision maker, especially like all colleagues in education, that's the only field I can relate to at the moment, you know, with COVID, et cetera, we've had to be so decisive. You know, one minute you're going over the top of the trenches the next minute you're trying to be strategic, then it's like, what ifs? And you're trying to plan, you know, well-being boot camp to have every strategy ready. It is hugely exhausting. And people are expecting you 
to have an answer before it's even finished coming out of their own mouth. And you're trying to process yourself a sensible, rational decision about an area of life that you never thought you would even have to make a decision about, which is completely unrelated to education. So, yes, being a leader is that whole sort of oxygen mask thing. It is exhausting. And so you do have to take a moment to process, you know, let the files all switch off and also, yeah, just draw a line and try not to speak too harshly if you feel that you've upset people because you didn't give them the right decision when they wanted it. I mean, were you prepared? You're obviously a very good teacher and you know, as very good teachers with ambition, they get promoted and they grow and they become principals or heads of school. Looking back now, do you think that what you're doing as a head is everything you thought it would be? In terms of like, you know, like the commercial side of it, I didn't really realise the complexities of some of that, especially here in Dubai. It's obviously a business and you try to make it authentic and relatable because there's children at the end of it. So it needs to have purpose before profit and you're trying to keep it very values orientated. You've got children and there's ethics, etc. So I think that side of it, trying to sort of keep it real and not complicated. Yeah, 100%. It's not what I'd initially thought. But again, I think I'm as many leaders, you know, the joy of seeing success as a team and seeing people giggling or enjoying what they do. You've been a part of galvanizing a staff, a small community, their purpose of getting up. That makes it worth it. So I moan and like we all do, but in the grand scheme of things, seeing other people's happiness in the job that they're doing as a result of, you know, of you ironing out the things in the background, that makes it worth it. And no one ever sees those things. And that's also a great leader is that there's so much that goes on behind the scenes, running it direction wise. You know, and you kind of think about the cascade down from you to your teachers who are then the ones that have to lead and be driven and be passionate themselves to teach these kids. And then the parents are looking at their kids going, wow, this is brilliant. But they don't know all the stuff going on. It's like, you know, we all turn up and watch a movie. You just don't know what goes into making a movie. We just appreciate the end result and the experience of being part of it. It's only when you really do go digging and you have these conversations is that you kind of shine a light on. It's hard doing all those other things. You were the founding principal of Victory Heights Primary School. When setting up, you decided to base your approach on a moral education. Why? And can you just explain a little bit about what that is? Well, I know that I've attended summits, the digital summits that you've been a part of, Simon, and you've often spoken and led discussions with other principals about jobs for the future, etc. So definitely being strategic, you're basically trying to make good human beings, right, <laughs> as the BFG would say. So um, and, and you guys have spoken about that as well, regardless of people's opinions about computers being able to program themselves and not the humans being able to program the computer. Even with that high level of technology, at the end of the day, these little humans will grow to be humans who will go home to other humans who will have to solve their own relationship issues, their problems, express themselves and have happy families or be able to deal with the ups and downs of life that are thrown at them and be resilient and be confident and independent individuals and just generally be able to survive emotionally. So that is timeless. And I know every digital summit that I attended where you were part of it was always ended up with principles from all over and it all came down, you know. It's always about people. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it yeah. doesn't matter. Technology is an enabler and it's always going to be this exponential growth and availability and access to all of this. 
But humans sit at the middle of it and we have to teach our kids about empathy, about, you know, that moral compass and, you know, being able to get on with each other because we're all going to have to. Something, that, again, that leads on for that that's evolved over our journey going into nine years in September is that importance of communication and oracy as a focus, being able to negotiate with others, being able to explain that emotional intelligence as well as academic success, which I know that a lot of this sounds like buzzwords, but, you know, genuine, authentic communication skills. You know, you see people now at traffic lights, nobody's dancing in the car, everybody's picked up their phone at any moment. You know, are we really in the moment to listen, to understand, or are we just listening to respond because we're just between two social media channels? I do think it's important for children to be able to communicate and really connect with people and listen to understand so that they can fully see perspectives and also learn every day is a learning day be in the moment so yeah some of these general values that we set up that are part of our profile are no different to any other school when it comes down to it you know we've all got our buzzwords we've all got this but yeah we're just trying to help make children be the best that they can possibly be and be able to be reflective and not arrogant and be kind and and also own their mistakes you know own your mistakes and get over it try to enjoy the small things that piece you talk around to me it's about being present is very difficult you know I, I often talk to other parents and when I go to schools about this idea about kids don't seem to be bored or they get bored they're not taught to be bored because there's always something else to get into and I remember even sometimes my son you know he'd be like daddy I'm bored and I'm going really and all that was really was a trigger I think also for him to go dad I actually want to spend time with you but you know he could go from device to device to device to device I remember growing up and being chucked outside. There was nothing to be bored about. There was always a ball of rock, a tree to climb. There was something I could do. Do we think we need to involve more parents in this? And what, and what do you do maybe at Victory Heights Primary School just to ensure your parents are helping to deliver this side of your education, to teach them to be present? Because their kids will just look at what their parents do. Yes, I think we are trying as much as everybody to connect with our community, especially here in Dubai, where things are very full on and and everyone is very ambitious in terms of getting their children into lots of sport camps and making sure that, you know, they're action packed, but also giving children some downtime. But also, whereas that's not just on a device, but there are board games and some of those traditional elements, you know, as a school, we've often spoken about bread and butter moments and some traditional elements of, you know, developing memory, whether it be times tables, learning your keywords, or just simple memory games in the car. And so, yeah, we're always trying to spread that message of keeping it simple, stupid, and that it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. And those are the things I think that we try to work very closely with our community to endorse in everything that we do, that it's just about yeah, keeping it simple. It doesn't need to be elaborate. We're not fancy, fancy school. We're quite relatable. And that's what people that come to our school are about. Always trying to remind parents that, yeah, whether you've got a crayon on a piece of paper and the children are doing bark robbings or counting buttons or just having a chat in the car, keeping it real and enjoying those priceless moments, those immeasurable moments that children genuinely appreciate. Yeah. And I think at primary school as well, you know, that is a time to discover, to explore, to be creative, to be curious. We talked briefly around sort of being, you know, academically focused. 
have you got any evidence or what you've seen in the nine years, you know, founding a school, you start off with principles and then you've got uh, creating everything from scratch. Do you believe and have you seen that happy kids, the academic side of things follows much easier because they're more confident in themselves to be able to try or is it too early to say When we first opened, we definitely saw that there was a commonality between some of the children that we were getting. I mean, nine years ago, there was probably a lot of very large schools and some of our children just weren't made for huge schools. The reason why some of those families came to us was because those kids, they were just a bit daunted and didn't want to be in an all through school. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we're able here to offer families a variety of different schools. Our niche is that typical primary school here in Dubai. So the children, they often lack confidence. So when they came to us, you know, that belief you can, you can do it whilst also balancing up you know, you have got to kind of roll up your sleeves and put your big resilience cape on today. You know, no one's going to do it for you. So whether you're three and you've got to put your apron on or you've got to keep going and make the swim squad, you know, we're trying to kind of keep that reality grounded around the children and making sure, yeah, they were happy. And so, yeah, I definitely think we are very much serious about learning and vested in happiness. And yeah, one I don't think can happen with the other. But again, I can only talk for us in terms of our context and say, yes, they are happy because they know that they're listened to. Somebody cares. Someone's going to be there. But also, you know, quite traditional, Simon, in terms of, yeah, we will say no. So it's not like you're going to get to the school gate and get a certificate and a rosette. No, I think the children respect that, that they know that, oh, okay, I've got to learn my times tables to be better on times table rock stars or, you know, if I'm going to be in the parade of excellence or. I am going to get recognised for this, that or t'other. I need to put some effort in. What I love as well is it's in your reception. It's on your website. It says, forgive the mess. We are making memories, which I absolutely love. What does this look like day to day at Victory Heights? Perfectly imperfect. We had somebody that came on a tour a couple of weeks ago after school hours who then I had found out because, you know, all of these sort of mums and parents channels, everybody screenshots and sends you one, had said, you know, oh, Victory Heights, there were cardboard boxes. Went round that school on a tour. There were cardboard boxes in the FS2 classrooms. And I was like really giggling. Yeah, because the kids might be in a cardboard with a colander on their head, writing a list and trying to get to the moon by 10 a.m really what do you want them to have you know some sort of state-in-the-art digital machinery and being a blazer well that's not the school if that's what you want all the best there's lots of other schools in Dubai yes they will go home with mud on their tops they will have some pen their hair might not be in place you know children do need to explore their environment again there is method in our madness again they might be writing their keywords while sat in that cardboard box it's not immaculate and we have one hall half a canteen and one swimming pool which is a relatable primary school it's not pristine and we're not a five-star hotel so if that's what you expect then that's not what you're going to get when you walk through here you can see that your approach to education works because you've grown year on year you know opening new sites that is testament to a the leadership the education approach And actually that your model is what people want. And we don't want all pristine. We don't want all through. It is about finding the right school for the right child. Every time an Amazon box comes through, 
I'm often just with my nine-year-old still going, do you want it? You know, and he's like, well, what can we make? You know, sometimes when we get a ridiculous sized box because I've ordered patio furniture, much to my wife's distress, it stays. And, you know, we end up cutting holes, building a rocket and I'm in there. I mean, I'm flying to the moon. I still want to do it. And I'm nearly 50. I think cardboard boxes, come on, you know, that's, that's where we should be teaching all our kids. <laughs> Those are good memories. And again, we all joke about the cardboard box of the present, but it's true. Who doesn't like sitting in a cardboard box or remember or giggle at the fact that your kid likes the cardboard box. So, And particularly now, because of digital. Exactly. And especially in an international setting, we talk about at Victory Heights, you know, that community, that home away from home, being, you know, the extended family type thing. So we are the Christmases and the birthdays and the Easter bonnets and all of the other events. It's not, oh, well, will you go back to the UK or you go back to Australia that those memories are going to begin. This is a child's childhood. So the memories do need to be relevant, be wonderful to shape that child. So that's also the other reasons for that little sign. But thank you for noticing it. I'm a big fan of stories. I'm a big fan of authenticity. It's really what makes a school the school it should be. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Obviously, recruiting teachers is, is massively important for any school. But one thing I know that you're really passionate about is that continued professional development for your teachers. Is it easy to integrate this into life at Victory Heights Primary School? It is, is always around the why. Why are we doing this? Why are we looking into this? Is this going to make a difference? You can read so many different blogs and stuff and you can see stuff on Twitter, which is amazing. But can you adapt it to your class the next day? Is it going to have an impact? Because some of these changes in education, in professional development or action research, they might not be relevant to the context. I often see this with early years practitioners. I always spend a long, long, long time talking to EYFS teachers at recruitment because they have, I feel from a primary perspective, the most philosophical belief. And if the in the moment planning or some of the jargon that can come with that particular age group isn't something that that teacher can really feel is right for our school, then they're not going to be happy. The professional development that we look at is always saying like, well, how is that going to have an impact on our children here in terms of school improvement? Again, we are an ambitious school, but again, it's about improving and enhancing. Can we tweak? Is that going to work or is it irrelevant to our context? And particularly, you know, the early years curriculum and the, the early years practitioner, you've got to look at the children that you get in. So there might be lots of fads, but actually we've worked out here and this isn't just my belief this is something that we as a team have looked at you know a lot of the tradition and the bread and butter works for our community so you know I like like the English and the arts more than science I mean I don't get science like magnets in primary school just sticks to a fridge doesn't that be the end of me teaching it but somebody else that's their mantle their mantle of the exactly you know so everyone if we're all the same the world wouldn't function I know right but that's the passion so if somebody is really into dance, that's their passion, or somebody really loves history or has a real passion for geography and et cetera, then they can hopefully lead or bring that to the table and develop that and also have the opportunity to share that expertise with the rest of the staff. So, 
yeah, I think we do look at keeping everybody inspired with professional development, reflecting on why we're doing it when we're doing it. So it's not just overloading. Sometimes you've got to sieve as a team as well and go, okay, so what are we going to do in terms of continuously develop the skill set of the staff? Do we need to go outside? Have we got the skill set within here? I think we can be very creative from a budget perspective. So do you allocate more time than any other schools like primary schools? Do you allocate more time to continued passionate development or do you just use it more creatively and more effectively to do things that are more relevant to your school and your beliefs? I wouldn't say we're a sort of flagship, but we're passionate about it because we want to keep everybody inspired. And it's a bit like a Pinterest board of your own professional development. If you see a little nugget there and it's going to make a difference or have an impact, you know, we have some great philosophical discussions in pupil progress meetings. So I don't really get the chance with my job with all the other many hats, accountant and marketing officer, et cetera, but to kind of do lesson observations and lesson walkthroughs. But I do sit with pupil progress and that gives me the opportunity to sit down with every single teacher twice a year and talk about every single individual child, which is going to have an impact on their professional development or passions that we need to weave into our time. And then we'll steer the ship accordingly on something that we need to focus according to the needs of the children. And then the teachers are inspired because they can see that's going to make a difference, if you see what I mean. You know, so it yeah. might be an area of phonics or reading or creativity or like, do you know what? Like the kids are really lacking scissor skills still in year one. Right. OK, well, we've had no art room because of COVID. Right. We're going to have to do go off road now, do some art projects to develop their threading skills, their scissor cutting, etc. Or do you know what? We need to have some handwriting focus. And that all comes from talking about individual children. Each child, I think, is incredibly powerful. So pupil progress meetings drive a lot of school improvement for us. And it's an exceptionally good use of my time because then I can see the result of all of the leaders throughout the school and what they do and how decisions and choices have been made. And again, it's really powerful to talk about every individual child to see how budgets are spent, how resources are purchased. That's quite key. One thing I'm hearing is that all schools invest in professional development, in teacher training, but it does feel old-fashioned in other schools where it's teacher training and it feels like it's driven from the top down and it feels like it's, it's almost governmental or that kind of setup where it's driven by policy, potentially. What it sounds like that you've done is you've right, adopted the other way. It's yeah. a cultural shift, which is actually, look, we just want to hear from you. If you've got any great ideas about how we can be better at what we do to really inspire these kids, what should we be doing? Because you won't be able to know everything at the top. So, and was that easy to do? I don't know whether it worked for other schools, Simon, but it works for us. And it's something that I love. It gives me a sense of genuine pride when I can see the progress teachers have managed to kind of nurture within their children. Last week, an FS1 teacher, this was the second round, obviously, it's coming towards the end of the academic year. Lovely little boy who's about to leave the school moving country. He was an interesting character when he joined. We've all heard of those. And she has had a huge impact. I remember physically trying to distract this child, shall I say, at three back in September. Completely different child now. And I said to this teacher, I said, how did you do it? I said, you know, like you really have 
had a huge impact on this child. And I've seen this because, you know, I've talked to you and I've sat down and we've looked at your class and the progress. She said to me from this meeting, which drove a lot of us to look at different areas of inclusion. She said, I just stood there and I just said, what can I do for this child? What can I do for this child? And she wanted to find the answer of how to connect with him. Communication difficulties with this child, you know, second language learner, you know, speaking variety of different languages. And again, 360, trying to understand this child. And as a result of that first meeting, the professional development or passion development that then was inspired by this teacher's want and need to connect with this child resulted in a lot of other conversations. And then that resulted in more connectivity. So again, purpose to it, that she found some ways to connect with that child because she needed to work out how to help him in his little world. And I thought that was really powerful, which meant that other teachers also looked at, you know, how to combat that barrier of communication skills in FS1. I want to talk about your other passion and your commitment to reducing teacher workload. Feels like it's it's a bit of a paradox to almost this continued passion development. Because I know what it's like, you know, when you're passionate about something, you're more vested than ever. And actually probably trying to find a good work-life balance, like you find, is very, very difficult. It's a problem in education. You often hear that the sector lacks that work-life balance. Has distance learning due to COVID brought this issue into the spotlight even more? I don't know about distance learning, but I definitely know the COVID protocols that we have adhered to, for example, marking. Again, bringing it back to the pupil progress meetings that I'm referring to, I have seen, and I do these along with our inclusion champion, which in other educational terms is the SENCO, we have seen that you can look through a child's book The teacher has not marked it at all. And yet you can see a journey of progress. The verbal feedback that has been given to that class, whether it's on all the different theirs in year five or the presentation skills or the punctuation, that particular aspect of workload we had trialed several years ago. You know, that momentum was building and we explained it to the parents. Still, some teachers were using, you know, three different colored pens and writing for hours at night in the children's book. Their workload, their why of live teaching and feedback is far more beneficial than sitting for four hours at night marking, you know, loads of year six extended pieces of writing because I can hold that book and I can see it as a leader. So that's one aspect. COVID protocols has definitely said to us marking itself doesn't prove that progress needs to take place because it's the live teaching. And again, I think I often see the energy that has been put into the live teaching. There is that kind of will to make the most of every moment with staff around the school. And you can see that progress and attainment hasn't stopped because live teaching does matter. And that energy, whether reports have not been finished or data's not been completed, you can still see it. And is that going to stay? Because the great thing that I say that there's lots of positive that have come out of the COVID situation. And that's because, you know, schools have been forced to do things completely differently, try new things. And there's been some really great things that have come out of it. They've gone, actually, let's keep these. How can we be better, as well as ticking your boxes to work-life balance, passion, 
attainment, happiness, rather than us doing it the way we've always done it. So that, that's a really great testimonial to change. Yeah, there's nothing that beats the live teaching. So when the children did come back from our situation in Dubai back in September, and we were either in bubbles from FS1 up to year one, and then separated with social distancing from others, and then our inclusion department, our special educational needs department was completely dissolved. Teachers did have to look at challenge and support. And again, having that energy to be able to have impact and also be fresh from a daily perspective where they had less specialist lessons, less support from other teachers, as well as the inclusion department meant that their energy had to be there. So therefore, we allowed our staff to finish earlier so that we looked at aspects of workload. So there was nothing basically that could damage the, the kind of live teaching as much as possible. We were trying to protect that aspect. Whether we've got it all right, I don't know. But I know from the pupil progress meetings, sorry to keep harping on about them, talking about every Amelia, Ben and Ahmed within the school, they haven't suffered because the energy has been put in the live teaching. Do you feel that your teachers do feel that they've got a good work-life balance and they feel energised and still passionate and they enjoy coming to school and teaching? I think teachers are very hard on themselves. There's never enough time. There's always time for the things you want to do. But no, at this time of year, everybody's very frazzled because there's reports and there's transition documents. So I'd hope the teachers would. I mean, retention's not bad at all for our school. Maybe I'm being self-deprecating, but the staff seem happy with the choices. We do send out regular surveys and get feedback from both their year leaders and from individuals to see what we can do for their own engagement and well-being. We definitely hope to improve things. We're perfectly imperfect. We clearly don't get everything right. But we're also, I often see it as a bit like, a bit like a tent, you know, if everybody is a pole in the tent and everybody is holding up their pole and their peg in order to kind of keep the whole tent up being the whole school community, we have to be quite solution orientated with some of our own flexibility, you know, the weather and et cetera. So I'm going off on a tangent here. You, I know, like analogies. It, you know, they have to come up with solutions as well, each member of staff from their perspective. So we can all criticise, because I don't know from what their perspective that, you know, they haven't had a comfort break. I can't perceive that when I'm making a timetable or expect other leaders to do. But if they're going to give, you know, and bend with the wind from their aspect of their tent peg, because somebody else needs a priority from the other side and because that department needs to take the centre stage, then hopefully we'll lean back the other way and give back to them should they need extra time to do something. But we've got to be solution orientated. I want to throw one last question in. And I just really want to maybe play devil's advocate to that whole kind of, you know, teachers are overworked, underpaid or, you know, that, you know, they don't have a work-life balance. I mean, this is just like any other organization, really, is that anyone who goes out to work works, you know, has to work hard. Often here, well, you know, you guys, you're going to go off on a nice eight week holiday. Surely just get on and teach the kids and stop complaining about work life balance. I'm throwing it out because that's a camp that's often touted where people go, well, we're all working hard. Why, why are teachers any special? Do you think special dispensations should be given to teaching? Is it different because there's an emotional connection to the job role or? Is it just ignore what other people think? I think the fact that you've got 25 individuals or 16 now and you have to make so many decisions in a moment and be able to yeah, look after them on so many and wear so many different hats. Yes, it is very intense without a doubt. And yes, I think it is a profession that is still 
wonderful. I think it is still exhausting. I think it's something that should be highly respected because it shapes the individuals. And I know that sounds really deep, but it, yeah, it shapes future generations. Teachers do make a huge difference. They should also be challenged because of the impact that they have in terms of knowing every one of those individual children. But no, I think it's a very blessed profession. and It's not easy. It's not for the faint hearted. I think teachers, you know, they've got every right to work hard and play hard if they get their own balance right. They've got huge responsibility. I completely agree. I, th- I think it's very different than, than running a business or being a manager in a business where you're actually more worried about the output, the product and the services. But when you have people's lives and actually you're developing humans. For the last 20 odd years, 25 years that I've been doing that, you know, we're all still learning. You can relate a one child's journey to another child's journey, but every one of them is unique. Whilst you're also trying to get, you know, as you know, as a parent and as I know, as a parent, you're trying to get children to conform and also make good choices and be great citizens. And it's quite a complex role. And also you're trying to understand and get them to negotiate in a room of 24 other children and understand what it's like to be part of the bigger picture because they're in mainstream school and blah 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 and yet they've already got this baggage and they're five or they're eight or they're ten so every year is different every term is different every day is different you can't do the same thing as you did and I'm not breaking any other profession I'm sure all professions have got their own complexities it's like saying who works harder a year six teacher or an fs2 teacher well it's all relative isn't it it's a highly rewarding but uh, very complex profession. Sasha, thanks ever so much. That is probably the most serious you and I have ever chatted for an hour. <laughs> what do you mean? Without the heavy laugh, the jokes, everything else. No, that's fantastic. And I do appreciate your time. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now. Now.